Just as I have loved you, you shall love one another. How many times have we heard this great commandment from Jesus, love one another, love your neighbor? So many times that I actually wasn't too excited about writing the sermon. (laughs) We know we're supposed to love. And at least for me, I know I fall short, and I know how far I fall short of loving one another as Jesus loves us. In seminary, I had a professor who told me about his near decades worth of befuddlement at why in our Book of Common Prayer, the service of morning prayer starts with confession. For heaven's sake, he said, I've just gotten up. I've barely had time to be awful. (laughs) He said it took him years and years to realize that the minute he got up, he'd start thinking about his day, what he'd be doing, who he'd see. And by the time he was done brushing his teeth, he had brushed away all sorts of uncharitable thoughts about various peoples and encounters he'd have in the coming day. And then he thought about how when he would walk to morning prayer in our chapel, he'd bounce between delight in the stillness of the morning and the crisp air, the sunshine or maybe the delight of the rain and we were back east, so yes, even snow, all of God's beauty. He'd bounce between that and the state of the world not seeing the world as a place in need of love. He'd just focus on how riddled the world is with awful people, awful institutions, governments, government leaders doing awful things, justifying awful things in the name of whatever good they cling to. So even though he'd arrive at morning prayer, he said, convinced he was cheerful and not in need of confession, his heart was already carrying pockets of non-love that were indeed worthy of confession. We too carry so many blinders to where we are not loving others as Jesus loved us. Blinders that I think may be part of why I wasn't so cuckoo about writing this sermon. They aren't always conscious blinders, but they're built in us due to our formation, built through our experience of gender identity, our race, our ethnicity, our economic status, our experiences with violence, abuse, addiction. We are masters at deluding ourselves or perhaps repeatedly convincing our spells, especially those of us who come to church, that we are doing okay on the loving others front. Today's reading from Acts, the first one that we heard, is all about Peter after Jesus' death and resurrection, and all about Peter's discovering his own blinders, discovering that he had boundaries to his love, discovering he carried a belief that he fully believed was justified by Scripture, a belief that people not following the law were outside of God's grace. Peter was skeptical of the religious validity of Gentiles being baptized. And it's hard for us today, 
Most of us who uh, identify with the Gentiles of yore, it's hard for us to get into Peter's head because we know the end of the story. God's people means all people. God's love is more radically inclusive than Peter could have even imagined. So in today's reading, Peter recounts his vision and his startling experience of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the Gentiles. He tells the same story to the disciples who had also had the experience of the Holy Spirit pouring out on them. Peter recounts his essentially conversion to the realization that God's spirit is here for all. God's grace is for everyone. And that everything he'd been taught about Gentiles and about how to be faithful to God had limitations. The whole story is actually recounted in the previous chapter of Acts, chapter 10, if you want to do some fun reading. Uh, It's a long, juicy story, the longest, one of the longest in the New Testament. And it's all about a Roman centurion named Cornelius. He was devout, even though he wasn't Jewish. And he has this vision, an angel of God, who tells him to send men to Joppa to summon this person named Simon or Peter. And meanwhile, back in Joppa, before the men arrive, Peter was hungry. His meal wasn't ready, so he went up to the roof to pray. Didn't go help anyone with the meal. <laughs> Perhaps praying that it be, be ready. He falls into a trance And he sees the heavens open with this ginormous sheet coming down full of creatures. All the creatures, some of whom it was okay to eat under Jewish law and some of whom it was not. And a voice says, get up, Peter. Kill and eat. And Peter resists. Peter recognizes It must be God because he says, surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice replies, do not call anything unclean that God has made clean. That's not good enough for Peter. They go back and forth three times. (laughs) Surely not, Lord, yes. But when the men arrive, and tell Peter about Cornelius's vision a few minutes later, Peter realizes he better go. When he gets to Cornelius's household, he has a measure of repentance already in his heart because he addresses the people at first saying, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. And he starts sharing about Jesus. And suddenly the Holy Spirit descends upon everyone present before he's finished preaching. And at the end, he baptizes them all. Just as Jesus loved the disciples and sent them the Holy Spirit, so Jesus loved Cornelius and his household and gave them the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus loves us, too, 
and fills us with his spirit. Oftentimes when we hear the command to love one another, and I am missing a page. (laughs) Oh well. (laughs) Oh dear. Ah, okay. So when we hear the command (laughs) to love one another, we often miss that part, as Jesus loves us. We don't have to self-generate this love. God's love is already there and operative inside us. Our job is to rest in that love and let that love crack open our eyes and our hearts to where our blinders might be. Where are we blind to the worthiness or unworthiness of others? And we are masters at convincing ourselves we are open-minded, we don't have blinders. And even if we're doing great things like Peter was before he realized his exclusion of Gentiles, Even if we are doing great things, there will always be people we see as less than. And this plays out personally in our own lives, perhaps in our families, among our coworkers, with people in our neighborhood, people we encounter, even perhaps people here at church. But it also plays out systemically. I mean, just look at our nation's policies about immigration, we are literally shutting our borders with abject cruelty. And this is a land built by immigrants. Most of us here are descendants of immigrants. And those first immigrants were not so bright and shiny. Those first immigrants perpetrated genocide against a large portion of the First Nations communities. And our church is not immune to perpetuating exclusion. Only a few years ago, the National Cathedral in Washington recognized that the stained glass windows and stonework in one part of the cathedral, the stained glass and stonework honored Confederate generals Jackson and Lee. And as only a couple years ago, they realized those needed to be removed. It actually took them almost two years of discussion before they could make that decision. And when they did, they declared that that artwork created, quote, a barrier to our important work on racial justice and racial reconciliation. Their association with racial oppression, human subjugation, and white supremacy does not belong in the sacred fabric of this cathedral. That's many years after the Civil War, recognizing our blinders. And the whole Anglican communion of which we are one part is deeply divided right now over biblical authority and interpretation, so deeply divided we may face the possibility and a very real possibility of dissolving. 
The issue is playing out most passionately around LGBTQIA inclusion. And while the Episcopal Church and a number of others of us stand firmly for full inclusion, we have LGBTQ plus deacons and priests and bishops. We celebrate same gender marriage, but large swatches of the Anglican communion don't agree. Some of you remember Bishop Mary Glasspool who was in this diocese. Her wife and the same-sex spouse of another bishop have been uninvited to the Anglican Communion's next convocation of all the bishops across the communion. And our current bishops in the diocese pondered boycotting and solidarity. But they decided in consultation with the support of Bishop Mary and her spouse that they should go and bear witness on their behalf. So loving as Jesus loves us means seeing with new eyes, means listening to where God may be challenging us to break down our blinders, means admitting we've been wrong and confessing those wrongs, and then moving with God's grace and with God's forgiveness from that repentance into actual amendment of life, into actions that are a different way of loving. Peter, after his experience with Cornelius, declared, who was I that I could hinder God? Loving as Jesus loves us is all about action. It's about being witnesses to God's love, about harnessing Jesus' love for us to love others. In the words of Martin Luther, for where works and love do not break forth, there faith is not right. The gospel does not take hold, and Christ is not rightly known. It is hard for us, and especially those among us who are empowered by society, to see where we are blind. But Christ's love is in us. Christ's love is meant to break forth. So let us let the world challenge our blinders. Let us listen to voices that make us uncomfortable. Let us have the courage to let the blinders fall. And may we follow our patron saint, Augustine, who tells us to enlarge your love to the size of the world if you want to love Christ, since members of Christ are to be found all over the world. So yes, as Jesus said, just as I have loved you, you shall love one another. Amen.